Hello, mead friends. Welcome to the Regenerative Mead Podcast. I'm your host, Brando Tice, and today Frank and I sit down to talk about a group he's a part of called Regen San Diego and the Cali Baja project they are working on currently. We start off the conversation explaining how the group came together and who is a part of it. Then we dive into the Cali Baja project and what their vision and goals are within the project to help create a more biodiverse environment for the greater San Diego community. Now let's get into it. Hey everyone, here at Golden Coast Mead, we consider drinking alcohol not only a luxury, but a celebration of life. If you partake in this celebration, we advocate for drinking regenerative mead made from real honey to help shift the $1.5 trillion alcohol industry in a better direction. When you drink our regenerative mead, you are helping to make the earth healthier, more biodiverse, and abundant. Drop monoculture-based booze and drink regenerative mead. Visit our website, www.goldencoastmead.com. To learn more about our regenerative mead business and be a part of the celebration. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers right now. How are you doing today? I'm pretty great. We uh, had a great team meeting. No one cares about that. They want to hear about regenerative mead <laughs> and the future and why it's worth being hopeful. Talking about regenerative mead, what are we drinking? Mm. This we are calling Wild Elder summer right? yes yeah yeah because it's made from wildflower honey it has elderberries that were wild crafted and uh it's summer here on the golden coast so this drink is made with uh some lemons to bring in a little little zest and citrus and tartness and then the elderberries give it this medicinal cranberry complexity that's really rich and raw and wild and then the wildflower dry uh wine yeast backbone is like floral and just the right amount of honey to complement all these things and bring it together it's it's beautiful yeah i love the color of it it's like a red pink hue blush blush yes yeah yeah delicious not many meads come out that color right no none and specifically ours we rarely do melomels which is when you add fruit to mead because we think it gets confusing but we make an exception when there are locally grown fruits that can tell a cool story about our ecosystems and food production systems. So we made an exception for this case and we got this nice blush mead as a result. Yeah. Speaking of local ecosystems, yeah. you were talking to me about this cool project that you got to be a part of, are a part of, and I kind of want to talk to you about it ask you some questions. So I think a good starting point is the group name and all the members of it and what what you guys are about. Yeah, so we're calling it Regenerative Cali Baja or Regen Cali Baja. And it's this idea of looking at our whole um, San Diego, Tijuana, up to Southern Orange County, out to the Imperial Valley, um, place as a bioregion. So going beyond the political lens that drew a line between Mexico and California, kind of arbitrarily, um, and looking at that whole place as an integrated ecosystem, right? There are watersheds that trans, what's the word? Transcend. Transcend, thank you. Those political boundaries. There are um, 
food production systems that transcend those boundaries. There's climate systems that transcend those boundaries, right? When a cloud passes over the border from San Diego to Mexico, it's not like I'm entering Mexico now. It's like, I'm just part of this bioregion. And the, those dynamics, if we don't uh, cooperate with our neighbors across those political borders, um, are gonna get ahead of us as climate change happens. So if we're gonna adapt and we're gonna thrive through this period of climate change, then we're gonna have to coordinate with our neighbors um, and, and treat the whole area as a bioregion. Yeah. And that includes the, uh, the indigenous people, the first nations that were here, the tribal nations that have called this place their home for maybe 16,000 years. Like there's apparently some archeological evidence that put people living in this part of the world in 14,000 BC. Yeah, that's crazy. And like their direct descendants still live here and are a, a sovereign nation amongst themselves. So it what has started as an effort to uh, bring a broad coalition of folks who live in this area together is evolving into potentially bringing three nations together. You know, the U.S. in, in California, Mexico and Tijuana and the first peoples, um, the Kumeyaay and the Luceno, all together to look at this bioregion and how we might cooperate in order to thrive during this time of climate change. Awesome. And you have some pretty cool people who are a part of the group who are trying to organize this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone involved is cool. Um, some of the big names, uh, Dr. Keith Pizzoli at uh, UC San Diego. He's the director of the Bioregional Sustainability Center. Uh, he's involved. Paul Watson at the Global Arc, um, which is a collective that's been training youth leaders in sustainability and adaptation since the 70s. Um, and, and he's just a great guy. He started San Diego Growing Grounds, which is a uh, food production farm within a food desert in East San Diego. And he's just a great human. Laura O'Connor, who's a veteran of a lot of social movements and organizing. She worked with Deepak Chopra uh, as an event producer and put on the first transformational festivals uh, in the Bay Area and has deep roots in Vista, San Diego County. Um, Natalie, uh, McDonald is this really amazing networker and connector. Michelle LaRocque is this big philanthropist who really cares about our local food system and founded the very good food, uh, system. Manah Geb, he's a Liberian U S Navy veteran. Who's a farmer. He runs like three farms and works at the San Diego safari park um yeah it's super fun these these people are incredibly dynamic and interesting and committed to a world that is thriving and just um i could go on cody harrison um is working on a mondragon inspired inspired co-op that will help decrease the cost of living in san diego and increase the local production of food, fiber, and fuel for San Diegans and then be owned not just by workers, but also by all stakeholders. So instead of profits being exported out of the region, they would stay locally, just like Mondragon does in Spain. Pooja Batra is a PhD in pollination ecology. She got her PhD looking at how specific uh, Asian bees um, 
pollinate specific ecosystems and she is really into uh, biomimicry and taking design protocol from nature in order to look at what strategies nature uses to adapt to certain climatic uh, requirements and then em emulating them in human design. Yeah, pretty rad. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, all these people are like brilliant and it's humbling to be around them, but we're all aligned on imagining a future where as climate change comes and disrupts our whole way of being, we come through it thriving. We, we have more resources, we have healthier populations, we have higher quality of life. So in order to achieve that, we've got to start organizing and cooperating across boundaries. So how do you come to meet all these cool, crazy people? Like, how'd you come across this project? That's a great question. Um, so this started because there's a group called American Sustainable Business Network. Okay. And it was American Sustainable Business Council and Social Venture Network. So Social Venture Network like started in the 70s and it was a group of businesses that wanted to use business as a force for good um, because they saw the writing on the wall that if business didn't start to change its tune, we were going to be left with a culture that was in shambles. So Ben and Jerry's came out of here, Adwala, Juice, um, Patagonia, Guayaki, uh, Stonyfield Farms, Mama Chia, like a lot of cool brands that mm -hmm. really lived their values and showed that it's possible to make a healthy business run while doing well by your people, by the planet, and for your investors. So Social Venture Network had some growing pains in the mid-2000s and merged with Investor Circle, which was like an angel group that actually spun off of Social Venture Network in the like late 90s. And then they merged with ASBC, American Sustainable Business Council, which spun off of Social Venture Network in the early 2000s. So now they're doing poly policy advocacy on a large level and uh, entrepreneurs like myself can go there and get all kinds of cons advising, consulting, coaching, networking to be connected with the resources that you need to take your next step and your you know, sustainable to regenerative business journey. Gotcha. Okay. And so we, we, we have a conference, American Sustainable Business Network has a conference every year in San Diego, or at least we did coming out of COVID and we're going to this year as well. And in preparation for that, Laura O'Connor was tapped to do some local um, program development, like what's going on at the local level amongst gotcha. American Sustainable Business Network companies. And so out of those meetings came this desire to define what our vision was for regenerative San Diego that ties regenerative business and regenerative culture and makes a change that results in a healthier ecosystem, a healthier population, greater wellness across the board. Hmm. So Paul Thomas at Global Arc offered to do a participatory strategic planning process, which is a school thing that came out of the civil rights um, movement to bring diverse groups together to articulate what their shared vision is, what their strategies for, well, what the roadblocks are to achieving that shared vision is, what the strategies to move through those roadblocks are, and then what roles, responsibilities, and resources need to be assigned in order to achieve those strategies. Hmm. So he, he led us over the course of four months through these four workshops to articulate that. And um, 
I could dive into what that is if you're interested. Yeah, I think that's super cool. Like, what what'd you guys do at the workshops? Man, uh, so this guy named Josiah, who runs a company called Vibradelics, where he... Like, Vibradelics? Vibradelics, okay. yes. Where he, we met at ASBN. He was at American Sustainable Business Network. And um, he, he shows up and he gives us all headphones that are uh, attached to this broadcasting system where he has a mic and a playlist. And he starts playing these like binaural beat songs and having us do movement and talking to us about how our brains work and how when we're normally conscious, we're in beta, which is like our problem solving brain. And when we're in like, like complex problem solving, we're in high beta. And it's a certain range of wave wavelengths that our brain gets into. But beyond that is this wavelength called theta. And it's when our heart and our brain are in coherence. And a group can get into that together if they're like breathing together, doing exercises. And it's this thing called group flow. And like Navy SEALs do it. Um, elite athletes do it with their teams. And it's a felt sense of flow, right? Effortlessness, timelessness, meaning. Uh, there's one more. I don't know. You're the one who did it. It's, it's from Flow Genome Project where they did the research to like lock down what these states are and how it's achievable. But effortlessness, timelessness, meaning, well, three is three out of four ain't bad. Um, so you're in that state, right? Because you're breathing and you're listening to this music and it's putting your heart and your brain into the same wavelengths and you're in that with other people. And then you move into envisioning what what our outcome is two years down the road what have we achieved and what we came up with as a group of 16 people from very diverse groups but we want to have more diversity we want to have people from across the border we want to have people from uh, the first nations in this area sharing their vision and how can we synchronize it but what we came up with was a center for a regenerative culture. Like what does regeneration look like in San Diego, in Cali Baja? And then uh, we wanna define our culture within that context. So how do we come together? How do we celebrate? How do we grieve? How do we make decisions? What are our values? What does it mean to be a Cali Baja person in, in terms of culture? What does our food look like? What does our music sound like? What does our art feel like? You know, like those are things that define culture. And right now we're just kind of this mishmash unintentionally. But what if we could come together and intentionally create that that sense and 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 that joy, but also keep it bounded within the constraints of our bioregion? Mm -hmm. um, so have a center where that's being practiced and felt out and defined and experienced. And then from that center, send out groups of folks to do experiences that are deeply healing for the people that are involved and involve land work that makes landscapes healthier using permaculture practices and other practices to increase an, a, a living systems capacity to support life. Okay. That sounds like some good goals to have, I think. That's our vision. Yeah. Yeah. So what if we could do that? And the, and the measurable outcome is an increase in quality of life and measurable quality of life. So using some of the modern quality of life measurements, which the state of California has started to, to adopt um, to determine 
what an improvement looks like in quality of life across our bioregion. All right. So I think my first question goes back to what is, what are the meetings like when you're in Theta with everyone? Oh, it's so fun. Like what's that experience? Like just for you personally, like how do you feel? What are you feeling? Like, did it feel different than a normal meeting to you or yeah, yeah, totally. like what talk me through like that process for you? Cause was that the first time you ever did it? So what's really exciting about Theta is that everyone's been there before, right? It's these moments of peak experience or of flow where like maybe you've had the experience playing a sport or playing an instrument where it feels like you're not even trying, mm -hmm. but your performance is way better than you could have imagined. But you did imagine it on some level, right, mm -hmm. before. And it's just you're meeting and exceeding those goals, those transcendent moments like the philosophers talked about in the 1800s the transcendentalist, right? Mm -hmm. So you're in this state and you're with these folks and you have these headphones on and you're like moving and you're letting go and you're just being present. And there's also this playfulness. There's this sense of like, right or wrong, we're here right now. We are showing up to do good work and there are no wrong answers. We're just trying to do our best and support each other and ourselves and, and build this team that's going to do something that none of us can do by ourselves. So you kind of let go of the kind of ego and, and it aligns a lot with what Carol Sanford's talking about in regenerative business about like non-attached integrity and just like, well, this is what's true to me mm -hmm. in this moment, in this context, and other people are showing up, sharing what's true to them. And together you're putting together a truth that's way bigger than any one of you could have come up with by yourself. So, Paul is also an experienced facilitator, so he's very comfortable holding the container. And Josiah is an experienced facilitator of the actual theta state. So between the two of them, they're able to like hold a lot and help a lot move for a lot of people. Hmm. But Josiah talks about this like pop, pop, pop sensation that happens where when you're like really tapped in, your body aligns itself so that the, the like feeling in your body is just really good and it's really easy to be the best version of yourself in that moment. So, so you're showing up and you're like, there's not this sense of like, um, anxious urgency okay. that I think sometimes I feel as an entrepreneur who's worried about the world. Yeah. Uh, instead it's like, cool. I'm surrounded by a bunch of great people who all want to see it happen. And we're, projecting into the future that it's already happened. So we're kind of starting from that sense of like, cool, we did this. And this is what we did in order to achieve that. And then what comes from there is stuff that would be very hard to make up outside of that mind state. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. But for you personally, so it's like a comfort, you're, you're very comfortable when you're in theta, essentially, and it's very like community oriented and connection oriented. I think that's an accurate way. Okay. It's also inspired. You know, you're you're thinking and you're speaking, but it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like you're grasping at something to come up with an answer. It feels like you're just tapping into something that you know is good and true. That's how all work meetings should be, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, our bodies have multiple states and sometimes we gotta shift into like different states to accomplish different ends yeah but yeah ideally we're calm and comfortable and feeling good and imagining the ideal future and then figuring out what needs to be done to get there 
That's fair. And I think that leads me to roadblocks because you mentioned like talking through roadblocks because those are some pretty hefty goals you guys have. Yeah. And what are some roadblocks you guys talk through that are major and we need to get through to get to that end state? Yeah. Um, so we, we came out with a, a series of documents that captured the work from the sessions, but the, so the, the actual things we agreed on, we put on pieces of paper and put up on a, a board and then moved around to group into different themes. Mm-hmm. And some of the themes that I remember right now are like a system of fractured, uh, uninternalized incentives, right? So actors within our economy are incentivized for short-term gains Mm -hmm. and not incentivized to account for the cost of them doing business that is external to their business model, right? So waste streams, right? Like there's a serious cost to the waste that businesses produce, but the businesses don't have to pay for it it gets assumed by the government and by taxpayers. Mm -hmm. So that system is a serious barrier to a regenerative system that creates more value with every productivity cycle. Gotcha. Right. An extraction based economy can extract value from a resource, turn it into a marketable asset, but all the waste that gets produced in the process of converting that resource into a value that waste just becomes a mess for someone else to clean up in our current system Mm -hmm. so evolving the thinking that like any entity that is behaving that way is creating a cost for the whole society and someone ultimately is going to bear that cost that thinking needs to be updated that's that's a strategic roadblock to us achieving this outcome of a a regenerative culture where all people are thriving. All right. So taking an extractive system and turning it into a regenerative system, it's a big goal, but like what's step one of that process of getting like businesses to realize, Hey, you're creating waste. That's not the best way to do business and transforming a business's thinking on that. What did the group come up with that kind of like addresses the first steps that need to happen in order for this project to be successful? I think before I answer that question, we kind of need to zoom out and see how all of these challenges that we're looking at transforming uh, are interconnected. Okay. Um, So session two of our participatory strategic planning was about the contradictions to our outcomes. And I did leave out one of our strategic vision outcomes was having a Mondragon inspired stakeholder owned cooperative that brings the cost of living down for all the people who live in San Diego and creates wealth for all the people that are owners of the co-op. So imagine, and by San Diego region, I mean the Cali Baja region. So imagine a business that produces food, fuel, fiber, housing, all these basic necessities for living from local materials, uh, with local labor and then shares the profits with the people that own it, the stakeholders that own it. Okay. Um, so that was a key part of the outcomes. So a, a regenerative place, a regenerative culture, a Mondragon inspired co-op, and then experiences that heal people and places. That's what we're envisioning. Um, so the, the barriers to, over, 
to achieving that we identified is that we have a system that incentivizes these narrow, toxic ways of creating value. We have an extraction-based economy where businesses can take some kind of resource, turn it into a value that they sell in the marketplace, but they create all kinds of externalities, costs that aren't incorporated into their business model and then get paid for to clean up by the government or the taxpayer or marginalized communities who don't have much political capital mm-hmm. and they end up just kind of suffering. Yeah. So that we, we recognize that exists um, in, in lots of industries that are prevalent in our region and we need to transform that. We recognize that the cooperative doesn't have a clear business model. We need to define that. We recognize that we have a political system that is fragmented So the pieces don't all talk to each other and integrate with each other, starting from the voter all the way up to the leadership. There are multiple layers of disconnect. Um, So that system needs to be reconnected. And there's an argument that, you know, for an investment of a million dollars, a corporation or another interest group can get returns of tens of millions to hundreds of millions to billions of dollars in various kickbacks, whether that's projects, spending, or tax incentives. So that system is fragmented and arguably corrupt. And we want to see that system change so that the individual has a sense of empowerment, that their voice is going to result in a difference in their um, culture, economy, and ecology that they are a part of. We feel that there's insufficient community engagement, uh, that that's a huge strategic barrier we've, we've got to overcome. We've got to get every individual that lives in this bioregion aware that they live in this bioregion, that they have the ability to change this bioregion through their actions, whether that's as consumers or as political agents with a vote or with the ability to protest something or with the ability to just uh, put their energy in a different direction. So engaging the people that live in this bioregion to understand that they can change this bioregion through their actions. And then we recognize that we have a traumatized populace and ecosystem that 200, 300 years, more, 400, 500 years of extraction-based economy and politics has resulted in people who feel disempowered, who feel that their efforts aren't gonna yield a change um, who, when they engage in public life, are fearful and um, afraid of, of violence on some level. So we've got to heal that trauma that keeps people from coming out and engaging and asking questions and wondering how they can help each other and, and transforming that kind of fear-based culture into a hopeful, collaborative, productive culture. So we have some strategic directions to help us overcome these contradictions. Yeah, those are some big things you're talking about. I, I mean, if you don't think that they exist in this world, like please let me know because I've only been around 37 years, but after my experience in the Navy and running a small business for a decade, it feels like they're consistently things that I run up against that feel disempowering to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, I have a lot of privilege and a lot of access in this system 
And so folks who have less privilege and less access, I feel like are probably even more influenced by those dynamics in, yeah. in this world. Yeah, I agree. All right, so let's go to like, those were the contradictions or the problems you guys ran into. So what were the strategic initiatives to address them? Yeah, thanks. So it's a, it's a combination of four of them and they all work in concert. Um, the first one is identifying and catalyzing place-based cultural transformation. So if we imagine our bioregion, um, it's kind of hard to exactly define the boundaries, but let's say somewhere in Baja, south of Tijuana, through Tijuana, up through San Diego, up through North San Diego, into Orange County, and probably like uh, North San Clemente, South Dana Point, maybe even into Laguna is like our north to south coastal range and then going east all the way out to like palm desert oh, wow. yeah based on the mountains and the the water systems that exist within this region so it's kind of this big cauldron right that's held together by these mountains in the coast uh like a bell-shaped cauldron and all the people that live in there you know do they think of each other as fellow members of this bioregion like We've got like three nations, right? We've got yeah. Mexico, America by way of California, and then the indigenous people. And in a lot of cases, I think people think of themselves as separate people. But as a bioregion, we share the same water, we share the same food production ecosystems, and we share the same, you know, waste management and potentially crisis management environment. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got to start collaborating, and that means um starting to define what that culture is that we're all a part of it that uh we all share in common you know these warm summers and these mild winters and um the same constellations go over our heads and the same plants grow in our region right the chaparral the sage scrub the oak savanna these are ecosystems that cross these boundaries mm -hmm. so we are we are all one people of those ecosystems and starting to define that and understand that as a way to start to transform our identity from these separate groups to this unified group that can work together. Yeah. So bringing, bringing together what we all have in common. I think so. Yeah. Um, the next one is transforming politics and governance into stewardship. So, Politics and governance is a lot about power and control, right? Systems of wealth management, um, power management, decision-making. What if we could transform those into systems of stewardship? And instead of asking, how do we control and govern to optimize the outcomes for the interest groups who have the loudest political voices? Mm -hmm. To how do we manage and steward to optimize the outcomes for future generations? So transforming politics and government governance into stewardship is another strategic direction. Going from like a short-term mindset to more long-term intergenerational. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to transforming and integrating economic and ecological models. Yeah, so that's the next strategic direction is if we're going to overcome those roadblocks, we've got to integrate our economic and ecological models. So how do we do that? Well, Right now, we inherited a world where economics is, you know, kind of linear, rational, separatist, like 
uh, these many dollars, these many resources, this much value created, supply, demand, etc. And then ecology is like, well, these biological organisms cooperate to create these networks, which then cycle nutrients and create a sustainable uh, life supporting ecosystem. And they're, they're kind of viewed as separate disciplines. But the truth is you can't have one without the other with humans. You need both. You need the ability to exchange goods and services and then the ability to support life moderated through nature. Mm -hmm. So um, nature provides a number of really valuable services, clean air, mm -hmm. clean water, um, climate <laughs> is not, you know, Tatooine. Um, that's a Star Wars reference for people who aren't familiar. That's the desert planet where like it's really hard to live and there's moisture farmers because there's not enough water. water. We're, we're turning into the Sahara Desert. Well, yeah, it's the Sahara Desert. Exactly. So if we don't balance our economy and our ecology, we kill our ecology's ability to support human life as we understand it. So what if we created value producing ecosystems and we assigned monetary value to those services, the, the value of clean water that's produced in our watershed, the value of clean air that's produced by the forest or by the, you know, the kelp forests of the ocean, um, the food production that's capable because we have a stable climate. Like these are all valuable things that we should, we, there are models to affix an actual monetary value to. And as we make policy decisions and we're asking how much will it cost for how much benefit, we're now integrating ecological services with economic uh, needs and wants. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds really cool. What, what are some examples that have successfully done that? It's, it's really the cutting edge right now. Um, so Cody Harrison at Corona Enterprises has a draft bill that he's shared with Mike Levin's office, our representative here in Oceanside, about valuing ecosystem services on a national level, and that being a fundamental part of development strategies. Hmm. Um, but as far I am not, he would be a good guy to interview about that question, because he is way more knowledgeable than I am. That's fair. Yeah. But there's no like readily available example, I guess. I think there is. I think like Bhutan does it. I think I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that when I was an undergrad, there are countries that were talking about doing it and getting started. And I think in like 20 years, 15 years since graduating, someone has done it. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. And then the last one. Yeah, it's transforming personal and community health. So instead of a healthcare system that's focused on treating symptoms of a problem and you know I, being able to identify what's wrong with someone and then intervening at a very high cost late late in the game what if we had a health system that understood general paths towards wellness and well-being and encouraged and incentivized people to be on that path so that most people were on this healthy well well path and if they fell off then they got treated but the, the healthcare system, instead of like trying to hold the whole society up from the bottom with this like really leaky net, mm -hmm. they instead are laying down this groundwork and pe keeping people on this path of wellness through their whole life. 
right? From zero to 20, here are the healthy things that you do. From 20 to 60, here are the healthy things that you do. From 60 to 100, here are the healthy things that you do, right? And from 100 to 200, here. Uh, <laughs> gets a little speculative <laughs> after that. But maybe, man, like, I mean, I don't know, you know, when five years ago when we were talking about longevity, like, there was an argument that our generation was going to live into our 120s, 140s with climate change and the risks that we're facing as a global culture. Like, I don't know if that's still the prognostication um, for the average human. Yeah. But if we got our food production, you know, water and uh, air systems locked down and then shelter, then like there's a good chance that there's going to be more than enough for everybody to live nice, long, happy lives. Now, is it worth it hanging around at 120? It's like you're playing a lot of bridge. You know, <laughs> so we're in a bridge. My great grandma always used to say, pray I'll make it to it. No, wait. Shoot for 100, pray I don't make it. <laughs> That's what she said. 99 is my target. <laughs> you know, it's like if you're sticking around to 100, I think it's just victory lap. <laughs> That's true. You lived a good life if you're at 100. Yeah. Right. Even, yeah, 99. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's super cool. And I think another cool thing about this project is like how, how it affects just local the local meat industry and honey industry. Because we here at Golden Coast Meat have problems getting good locally sourced honey that is meets our regenerative standards. Totally. And this project would definitely help with. I mean, creating a system that would allow local beekeepers to have more regenerative honey. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we want to produce local food. We want to produce um, local alcohol. And, you know, from a mead perspective, we kind of focus on this big picture food system of apiculture and honey, and then narrow down to the specific approach of mead as a way to create a lot of value out of that agricultural product. And then can we create change by creating demand and definitions for what good regenerative honey is to trickle up and change that whole big system? Whereas with Regen San Diego, we're kind of starting from the bottom, like here in our local community, what does a regenerative world look like? And then how do we build up to these strategic approaches that could be adopted and adapted in different bioregions? And so then we have this large scale impact. Well, affecting our local community yeah so yeah I, I do think that the mead regenerative mead approach and regenerative san diego approach are complementary uh, and hopefully we can have some really great parties where we we gather what this culture is and what it looks like and what it feels like so um i mean that's why we're here to connect and to celebrate and right? and, and regenerate and regenerate <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right what well, what do you wish I asked you? I mean, I think um, there's a desire in me to really envision and articulate what it feels like when we've achieved our goal. And uh, it recently popped up, like, when there's a regenerative Cali Baja bioregion and all the people are thriving, right? Because we're only really well when everyone around us is well. We're only at our individual best when everyone we care about and know is doing well. Mm -hmm. So we've got to all get in this together and move in that direction together. And if we achieve that, right, where like poverty is basically minimal to unheard of and 
preventable disease is really well managed and hunger and malnutrition are gone and our ecosystems are alive and flourishing. It's like, it's like we dropped into Star Trek and Avatar <laughs> mixed together, right? Maybe not like the rainforest Avatar people, but like the plains people with those cool rhinoceroses or whatever. And, <laughs> and like people are cool. They're individual. They got their blue sweaters or their yellow sweaters or their rainbow sweaters. I don't know. And like little insignia to denote what their special thing that they share with the world is. And like they look at each other and they look all different, different colors, different whatevers, uh, genders. I don't know. But like there's a sparkle in everyone's eye because everyone's needs are met. No one is in like scarcity mode where they're afraid that they're not going to be able to survive and their kids are not healthy or well. Like everyone's kids are healthy and well and everyone is showing up to share their gifts. And together we are building this world that is more and more alive and more and more capable of supporting life. And we're supporting and inspiring our neighbors and doing it. And they're supporting and inspiring us. And in that is this exchange that ripples out through the world and and lights people up um, and, and helps the best timeline unfold for everybody. Not the darkest timeline that we're not, on. Not the darkest timeline. <laughs> I mean, that's beautiful. And I, I see that. I feel that. I like the avatar and the Star Trek mix. <laughs> it's, it's a good, it's a good like mental vision to have. Up. And they're all drinking mead. And they're all drinking mead. <laughs> Regenerative. What mead. else would they be drinking? That's right. <laughs> well, that's awesome. All right. Well, thank you for sitting down and talking to me about that. My pleasure, Rando. Thank you, man. Uh, thank you, listeners. If you have questions, comments, concerns for my sanity, no, um, <laughs> no, we, we really want to hear from you. I think, you know, we do this so that you can feel connected to something inspiring. Um, so you can know that being a part of this Golden Coast Mead community, there are people on the ground doing work every day to build that regenerative future and that regenerative vision. And, you know, we, we don't exactly have the infrastructure right now to plug in, but there's an argument that when we're all doing something that is good, because everything is connected, that upgrades the whole reality for everybody. So doing something that you're good at, that you love doing, that it brings you more energy than it takes and that the world needs, right? That's like the four rules. If you can say yes to all those things and you go out and do that, you're a part of this movement of, of regenerative activity. Right. Like no one who's out there strip mining gold, you know, I don't think they feel good about that at the end of the day. Yeah. But I know a couple of people who feel really good after they make a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. So does the world need it? They would say they need it. I don't know if the world needs it. Are they good at it? Yeah, they're good at it. Does it give them more resources than it takes from them? I think literally, yes. And do they like doing it? Yes. Okay. So it's only a question of does the world need it? <laughs> yeah. So if they can make money, a lot of money in a way that the world really needs it, like hopefully that's good. Like is Will it, Smith, is, right? Isn't that like a Kantian like step categorical yeah, imperative? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a very practical application yeah, yeah. of the Kantian categorical yeah. imperative. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> so listeners, if you have feedback, we want to hear you email us at podcast at goldencoastmead.com. And uh, if you have a, a, a letter or a, an essay that you want us to read, 
we're down to do that. If you have uh, some questions that you want us to answer, we're down to do that. Just email us at podcast at goldencoastmedia.com. The world is beautiful. Go team. Go team. <laughs> oh, hey, I want to give a plug to the apiary up in uh, Carpinteria. They're doing a regenerative uh, wildflower session mead. It's sourced from sage blossom honey in their bioregion. And I'd say on a cold or when it's cold and on a hot day, it's quite crushable. Uh, got some like strawberry creamsicle notes up front. And yeah, I think they're onto something really cool. I am stoked to see another regenerative meat out there. So cheers, Apiary. Keep it up. Think Starbucks strawberry and cream frappuccino, but regenerative. <laughs> and 6.9 alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Peace out. Cheers. All right, that's a wrap on the Cali Baja Project. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. We appreciate all the support we can get. If there is anything you'd like to know more about, feel free to email us at podcast at goldencoastmead.com with your questions, and we'll try to answer them to the best of our ability for you. Now, here's your weekly bee joke. Where do bees go to catch a bus? A buzz stop. Meet out. <laughs>